The Real Investment Show. And welcome to the show this morning. Of course, uh, here it is Tuesday and moving really into a, a fairly strong, you know, again, kind of just a continuing, um, you know, earnings reporting season at this point. This morning before the bell, we've got Marathon Petroleum, Estee Lauder, Pfizer, Under Armour, Groupon, Bloomin' Brands, Apollo uh, Global Management, ConocoPhillips, Ralph Lauren. Um, after the bell is Akami, Chesapeake Energy, Amgen, Match Group. Um, of course, that's a dating service. Uh, Mondelez, T-Mobile, uh, Activision, Blizzard, Zillow Group, Lyft, Devon Energy. So a lot of energy stocks uh, actually reporting today. And again, you know, we've had a big surge in oil prices. That's certainly helping earnings this quarter. Um, those stocks have actually done very well. You know, and then that that's kind of an interesting kind of a byline here as well, is that um, if you take a look at sectors that are performing and not performing, et cetera, you know, relative to the overall markets. You know, it's an interesting kind of sequence here because in last year, as we were moving into the end of the year, we were all, we were talking about, man, you know, energy's really underperforming here. It's really in the dumps. Nobody wants to own it. Uh, lots of articles about, you know, you know, the end of oil companies because of, you know, climate change, et cetera. And we were suggesting back in November that, you know, typically when that kind of happens, you know, that negative news flow, that whatever that news flow is impacting typically becomes the better investment group the next year. And that's exactly what's happened. Energy is outperforming every sector this year, despite, you know, their impact on the environment and the fact we're going to get rid of oil production, et cetera. You know, markets really aren't buying this. And this is kind of part of the story yesterday that we were talking about relative to, um, you know, this ESG investing. And, you know, you pay, you're paying more for an ESG fund that really does nothing for the environment, but your performance isn't even any better than you get out of just, just, just a cheaper S&P index fund. But the important thing is, is that we talked about the sin stocks back in the 90s and you know we've seen this type of fad investing before is like oh we're going to invest this way because you know we don't want to own any sin stocks and those stocks became the better performers and when that happened everybody moved in that direction so you know and this is going to be one of the problems for ESG investing is is the things that we typically take kick out of investment groups typically tend tend to become the better performers historically speaking so when money starts flowing into those areas and and investors start getting left behind, all of a sudden, you know, meme stocks, et cetera, kind of go past A and we're going to chase whatever the new meme stocks are, regardless of whether they're environmentally, socially or governance conscious or not. Right. It's, it's where ultimately investors come down to one thing, and that's greed. And they're going to chase whatever it is that is making the money at the moment, regardless of what personal biases are. There's always a few investors out there that'll, that'll stick to their guns, but ultimately at the end of the day, the markets are driven by greed and, and you know, that kind of emotion. So you know, be careful, and the, and the point about this is just be careful what you're paying for, because again, energy stocks are doing great this year. In fact, they're outperforming the entire index, which suggests that maybe next year they may not perform as well. So. Again, you know, just kind of be looking at this, and and this is something we actually covered today in our um, in our in our analysis on our daily commentary, which is on our website now. If you go to our website and and pick up our daily commentary, one of the things that we t we showed was a chart of the staples. 
just to make a point about what I'm saying here, uh, it's a chart of staples versus technology. Now, if I just said, you know, what's been the better performer since, uh, you know, since 1975, right? What If you invested your money, where would you have made more money? Now, without looking at the chart on my screen right now, um, if you're in your car and you can't see it, <laughs> you can play along with me for a minute. If you're watching our live stream, you're already cheating, so stop cheating. Uh, but the point is, is if I just ask you what, you know, logically, what would have been the better performer since 1975? Staples, those old boring staple companies or technology companies, you know, logic would probably tell you, you, know, you got Apple and Tesla and Google and Facebook. It's like, well, obviously technology. I mean, we had the dot-com bubble, right? So obviously technology is a much better performer than staples. That's what I would have assumed. I would be wrong by making that assumption. Staples have not only slightly outperformed, they have vastly outperformed technology since 1975. Again, you, know, you got to be a little bit careful with this. You know, you're cherry picking a timeline you know, here, and, and again, it's, you know, if you started in 2000 or in 2007, you probably get, the, you, you will get different results. But again, the point though, is that it's not always when investing as clear as you think it is. And, you know, buying things that are economically sensitive, buying things that are cyclical, they, they, that's the reason they're called cyclical. They have years where they perform well and years where they don't perform well at all, depending on what's happening economically speaking. But there's, you know, the, the, the premise behind staples is that stuff you've got to buy regardless of what the economy's doing. It doesn't matter whether the economy's in a massive recession or a booming economy, you still got to buy toilet paper. <laughs> you know, you still got to buy toothpaste and, and toothbrushes and mouthwash and food and, you know, those type of things, those basic staples just to survive. And so the, the premise is that buying companies with very stable cash flows tend to perform better over time because it avoids that cyclicality of the environment. And so, yes, right now, energy stocks are doing fantastic. Um, they're absolutely doing wonderful. But again, last year, they were they were terrible performers. Nobody wanted to own energy last year. This year, everybody wants to own energy. Next year, we'll see what happens. But again, uh, Callan, um, which is an investment research firm, they annually produce a periodic table of returns. And it's a fascinating study if you look at it because you know, despite the fact that you go, well, I'm just going to buy the S&P index fund and I'll just hold it. That's great. Uh, the S&P index actually kind of trades right in the middle every year of all the other indexes that are out there, small cap, mid cap, large cap, bonds, commodities, all the you know, REITs, all these other type of things. And what you see from this periodic table of returns is the cyclicality of returns in the markets. In other words, you know, buying and holding sounds great in theory, but you know, some years emerging markets are at the top. And, and if you're at the top of the performance scale, that generally lasts for one or two years. And then what you'll find is, is that in the next couple of years, what was ever at the top becomes the bottom performer. Market cycle, investment cycle. And this is why it's important as an investor is to understand these cycles of the markets and invest your capital accordingly. And when things get out of balance, that is when things tend to revert in one direction or the other. Again, back to energy. Energy was terrible last year, way out of balance relative to, you know, their ongoing cash flows and those type of things. But we were convinced at that point that oil was going to zero. And the fact that because of climate change, we're going to divest all of our 
energy holdings and never owned them again. And this year, those same companies that were divesting themselves last year of energy can't wait to get into energy this year. So, you know, this is the point. Try to avoid the themes of the markets, right? And focus on what matters over time to generating a return in your portfolio. And this, look, this means that sometimes you're not going to buy stuff that, you know, is just going crazy in the markets. But that's part of that investment discipline, which is to focus on what makes you money over time. Because chasing what's hot this year tends to turn out to not be so hot the next year. And in fact, this is one of the biggest, you know, the biggest mistakes investors make is they chase what was hot last year and they buy it at the top and then wind up selling at the bottom. And this is just the history of investors over time and, you know, and how they do. And this is those psychological and behavioral issues of investing that continue to kind of invade returns for portfolios you know, over longer periods of time. And this is why you know, so many investors, despite markets doing great, so many investors in this country have very little money actually saved up because they ride these cycles, they do everything backwards, um, they make all the investment mistakes. You know, I can't tell you how many you know couples that Danny and Richard and I meet with here at our office to talk about portfolio management, and the, husband and the wife will say, "My husband's been investing for years; he never makes any money." Um, and the reason for that is the behavioral problem that investors have you know discipline is difficult and and being invested can be difficult as well so again these are the these are kind of the points that you want to overcome over time but this is this is really kind of the fact and again kind of looking back at this chart of staples versus it technology is great but it's very cyclical in nature and staples are something that people have to buy regardless all the time and so stability of cash flows and earnings is what matters ultimately to making your portfolio work for you over the long term. Now, does that mean you're going to beat the market every year? No, but who cares? That's not really the point. Chasing some random benchmark index has nothing to do with your time horizon, your financial goals. That's simply emotion. That's greed, right? Oh, I got to beat the market. Market's up 22. I got to make more money. No, you don't. What's your goal? I need 6% a year, every year, to meet my goals. That's your goal. That's what you invest for. Taking more risk than that, you're almost guaranteeing yourself a loss of money over time. Now, when we come back, I said we're going to talk about earnings. So we're going to get into earnings, what's going on, things you want to watch out for. So we head into 2022. Too many twos in that. We'll be right back. So I said uh, before the break, we're going to talk a little bit about earnings and what's going on. Now, this is kind of interesting where we are right now because we're right in the midst of earnings season. This is reporting for the third quarter of this year. So, yeah, I know it's November, but we're looking backwards at third quarter earnings. And there's a couple of things to be aware of. Now, earnings ultimately are what drive the growth in the markets and what we're what you know investors are banking on is that earnings will catch up enough to support the price of the market. So right now when we talk about valuations, right? So we talk about price to earnings ratios. You know, we're trading at 35, 36, 37, 38 times earnings. 
then, of course, in order to justify overpaying for trailing values, even though we're looking at trailing earnings, we say, yeah, but don't worry about that. Let's take a look at what next year's earnings look like. And wow, you know, stocks are a lot cheaper based on what we're going to make next year. But the problem is those earnings for next year are just a guess. And what we know historically is that estimates are always way too high um, in advance. And those estimates come down. And as those estimates come down, that's how companies are able to beat their earnings because we revise those estimates down. This is why we call it millennial you know, millennial season. It's like millennial soccer. Everybody gets a trophy. Um, in fact, right now, you know, we have 85% of companies beating earnings and it's, you know, it's great because analysts didn't raise their earnings enough. And so now we're kind of this point where we're beating estimates. But there's a couple of things moving into next year we need to be well aware of. First of all, economic growth is slowing. Um, third quarter GDP just came in at 2%. Now it's going to get revised down here over the course of the next you know, couple of weeks. Um, as we go through the end of the year, we'll start to see that. And as we get the next two reports on the economic growth, those, will, those estimates will come down because economic growth has been a lot weaker than expected. Inflation is going up. Now, as inflation goes up, that impacts corporate profit margins. It impacts the ability for investors to buy stuff. You take a look at I tweeted out a chart yesterday on real versus nominal incomes and nominal, uh, I'm sorry, spending, nominal spending is still well above the pre-pandemic trend. So it looks like, you know, individuals are just buying stuff like crazy. But when you take a look at real spending, spending after inflation is actually back to the pre-COVID trend. And why that's important is, is what it says, what that tells you is that individuals are not spending more money they're spending more money, true, but on less stuff. They're, they're buying the same amount of stuff. They're not buying more stuff, right? So they're having to spend more money just to maintain their lifestyle. And this is important because this is all comes down to what impacts earnings. Where do earnings come from? It's from what you spend in the economy. It's the manufacturers buying commodities to make a product that they sell to you that you buy. That's where earnings come from. And, and the market can't outgrow the economy over the long term. Since 1900, earnings have grown about 6%. And guess what? The economy's grown at about 6%. And so, yes, there's certain kind of periods where we can, you know, grow, grow a lot slower in earnings than the economy or grow a lot faster than the economy. But over time, you can't outgrow it long term. And so right now we have this you know, massive earnings growth that's going, coming back from the pre-pandemic, uh, the pandemic-related shutdown. So right now earnings are growing faster than the economy, but that will come back to, to, to play you know, over the next couple of years. And so watch inflation here because that impacts profit margins. And if I'm having to pay more, in terms of wages, uh, the employment cost index has been going up sharply. That's cost of wages and salaries and benefits and all those type of things. The cost of hiring an employee, maintaining an employee is going up. That cost has to get paid, and it either gets passed on to consumers or I have to eat it internally. And if I eat it internally, that impacts my profit margin. So this is all very important stuff as we talk about slowing economic growth, rising inflation, and ultimately earnings. So... You know, one of the points that we want to get into um, in particular is, you know, looking at where we're going to be over the course of the next year or so in terms of economic growth. And 
as, as we were saying, economic growth is already down to 2%. And we predicted very early this year, we wrote an article back in March called the sugar rush economy. We said the market would run, the economy would grow very quickly in quarter one, quarter two, and then would slow down in quarter three, quarter four. And we're getting right close to where our predictions were back earlier this year. And that has an impact ultimately on earnings. Now we run the, we run a uh, economic indicator. It's called the Employment Output Composite Index. This is a very broad index. It's the Chicago Fed National Activity Index, which has 85 subcomponents to it, both service and manufacturing. The Chicago PMI, all the Fed Regional Man Manufacturing Indexes, the ISM Manufacturing Non-Manufacturing Index, the NFIB Small Business Index, leading economic indicators. It has virtually everything into it. And not surprisingly, there's a very high correlation between this index and the economy. That index has now just peaked at the second highest level on record, which suggests that we're going to see slower rates of economic growth now over the course of the next year or so. Um, importantly, there's a decent correlation between peaks in the index and the returns that we get out of the S&P 500 as well. Again, not surprising because that's where earnings come from. And here's the important part. There's also a very high correlation between the economic output composite index, again, where earnings come from, and guess what? Yes, the annual change in earnings. Now, that index has just peaked, and there's a very high correlation now between the index and earnings. So the peak in that index suggests that earnings are going to slow going into next year. Now, that's going to become problematic in terms of valuations. Again, trading at 38 times valuations. Analysts very optimistic right now that we're going to have $206 in, in, in terms of earnings going into next year. But with the economy slowing, um, indications that it's going to slow further and inflation becoming more of a problem, there's real risk we're not going to make those numbers. There's also another problem here is that analysts tend to be exceptionally exuberant <laughs> with their estimates. Um, going back to 1936 and looking at earnings going back to 1936, Earnings trade between a 6% upper deviation and a negative 5% bottom deviation. In other words, there's a very nice band between where earnings trade from a positive 6 to a negative 5. So um, what happens over time is that earnings grow and we grow to this kind of this 6% earnings exponential growth trend line. And during recessions, we fall back towards that negative 5% economic uh, growth trend line at that point. So there's this very nice band that earnings trade in. And it's very predictable and it's very, um, very logical um, when compared to what economic growth does over time. Currently, estimates going into next year exceed the top of that band. Now, it's, it, it's never exceeded the band historically going back to 1936, but this year... And next year, analysts expect that we will surpass that 6% exponential growth trend upper band. Now, that's going to be problematic. And again, all the indications right now suggest that with weaker economic growth, we're actually going to see slower rates of economic growth as we move into next year. And look, this is not a surprising trend, by the way. 
going back in history, analysts are always overly exuberant about forward estimates. And, you know, if you go back to the peak of the market in 2000, analysts expected that earnings were continue just to rocket higher. You know, that was back when Jim Cramer on CNBC came out with his top 10 stocks for the next millennium. And, you know, eight out of 10 of those stocks were bankrupt by the end of 2002. They were no longer in existence. But at that point, you know, at the peak of the market, analysts expected earnings were just going to keep going higher. Saw the same thing in 2007. Earnings just going to keep going higher, disregarding the fact that we were in a, a real estate financial kind of crisis bubble at that point. And of course, we went through that, that whole situation and earnings fell. They didn't rise. They fell with economic growth. So here we are again. Analysts currently expect that nothing's, nothing but good is going to happen. And estimates are just going to keep rising into the future, regardless of what's going on economically speaking. Regardless of higher inflation, slower economic growth, estimates and earnings are just going to keep rising on a forward basis. Likely not going to happen. But this is the way Wall Street always is. Wall Street is always optimistic because they want to sell you a product. And in order to justify you know, selling you a product at 38 times or 40 times earnings, they've got to say, well, look, you know, yeah, I know you're overpaying for it now, but that's going to be cheap in the future because, you know, if if Tesla, as a good example, which is currently more than 50% of the entire market cap of every automaker on the planet, if Tesla can just sell, you know, all 100% of all electric vehicles ever bought, it'll be a cheap stock. Problem is it's not realistic. It's not going to happen. Too many competitors, too many other produ producers. You know, there's going to be a battle for market share at some point in the future. And this is the point that estimates and, and market analysts and all this miss is that just like the economy, earnings are cyclical and they are going to decline. And there are things that will cause that cyclicality to occur. Things like higher interest rates, the Fed starting to hike interest rates next year, less liquidity, Fed's tapering their balance sheet. So is global liquidity on a global scale. What about inflation? It's just slower economic growth. All these things are going to factor in, and that's going to impact earnings, valuations, and ultimately returns. Be right back after the break. That article on our website now, fundamentally speaking, at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't go away. There are a lot of things that are going on right now, despite, you know, when we take a look at just the economic output composite index that, you know, we run in-house, you know, to what happens typically with earnings. And again, earnings are a function of economic growth. Economic growth is slowing. Inflation is rising. Um, investors don't seem to care about that right now. And this is you know, kind of the, the the greed and, you know, kind of what's going on in the markets. You know, look, investors aren't paying attention to the fact that the Fed's about to start tapering their balance sheet. Now, historically, when the Fed starts tapering their balance sheet, returns become a little bit more difficult. Volatility picks up in the market. When the Fed starts hiking interest rates, which is slated to happen in July of next year and a probably three rate hikes in 2022, markets really don't like that. Last time the Fed was hiking rates was in 2018. And investors didn't like that 20% decline into December. So it's something that is worth paying attention to. And again, as I said at the opening of the show today, 
just because we talk about this and say, look, earnings are going to slow next year, that doesn't mean you go sell everything and go into cash. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. All we're talking about, though, is managing risk. Because, again, that's, that's our job as investors is we have to manage risk because risk is risk is not a function. This is one of the big misnomers that Wall Street you know, puts out and the financial media puts out is they go, well, the more risk you take, the more money you can make. And that is true, right? You know, if I could go to Vegas and, you know, bet on a pair of twos and win every time, then, you know, I've just bet everything I had in every hand, you know, I'm all in, right? It doesn't even matter if I got a pair of twos, right? I got nothing in my hand and I still went somehow miraculously. I can still win the hand of poker with absolutely no matching cards whatsoever. I'd be all in every hand, right? It makes complete sense. Reality is, is that gambling doesn't work that way. And as individuals and, and gambling is, look, I don't, you know, I'm not condoning gambling. I'm not promoting that you should go to Vegas, right? <laughs> But it's an easy analogy to what we do in the stock market because gambling is, is a risk-reward game. And as players, if you know anything, and just even a, a modicum, I don't even say you're good at playing poker or blackjack or whatever. If you just understand a modicum of the game, you understand very quickly how to bet your hand. So again, if I've got if I'm playing poker with five or six people at the table, I've got a pair of twos, you know, I could maybe win that hand if nobody else has anything, but I instinctively know that probably I don't want to really bet heavily on that hand. I just I just know that somebody's going to have better than a pair of twos, right? And I don't even have to be really smart to figure that out. If I've got a flush, well, I want to bet a lot more on that hand because probably I'm going to win, right? And see, we just instinctively know these things about playing cards or blackjack, whatever it is. We, we know that kind, of, that kind of analysis, and that's basically just the management and understanding of risk versus reward. We know what the odds are of winning with a pair of twos versus a flush, we, we instinctively kind of know that just from understanding how the game works and there's only 52 cards and we know those type of things. But when it comes to investing, we tend to take all that analysis and just throw it out the window and say, well, it doesn't matter. I can take all the risk I want and I'm going to win every time because that's the market environment that we've created here over the course of the last you know 18 months since the pandemic shutdown because of all the Fed liquidity. Now, that liquidity is about to go away, supposedly. That's what they say, right? The, that by next June, they'll just be maintaining their balance sheet. They won't be injecting more capital into it. We'll see. I'm not saying that that's absolutely for certain going to happen. You know, again, the market gets a little bit bumpy here and a little bit of pressure from the, the president and the White House, Congress to uh, you know try to bail out markets and economies, et cetera. You know, the Fed will be right back in action doing more QE. But the problem is, is that all this spending is creating inflation. Inflation is now impacting consumers, and consumers are unhappy. Take a look at poll ratings for the current president. That is all about inflation, gas prices, right? That's that's what all that's about. 70 uh, in a recent poll. Uh, more than 70% of Americans said that the economy is heading in the wrong direction. That's inflation. That is That entire sentiment 
is the cost of living. Why? Because that's what Americans experience, right? I know the Fed doesn't count food and gas when it comes to inflation. You know, it's volatile. It goes up and down. But I tell you what, the average American, you, you, they go to the pump. They fill up. They fill that sting. Even my kids are complaining about the price of gas because <laughs> I make them pay for their own gas, right? And so, you know, it's a, they, they, my son came in the other day. He's like, and, and my daughter was in the house, and she goes, I just went and filled up. She's got a little Mazda, right? I just went and filled up. cost me like 30 bucks, and my son starts cracking up. He goes, 30 bucks? It cost me like 50 to fill up my car because he's got a, his car's a little bit bigger, so it has a bigger tank. And he drives like a bat out of hell, so he eats a lot of gas, right? He has carbon on his toes from keeping it in the carburetor so much. I try to explain to him the process of driving sensibly, but again, not listening. <laughs> Reality bites. Well, you know, it's just also too, I had, when I was growing, when I was his age, I had a 66 Barracuda. So, you know, I'm sorry, uh -huh. 67 Barracuda. So yeah, my, my foot and, and me and Clement Yoroda were constantly rebuilding the engine. So, you know, my foot was in the carburetor all the time, but gas was like 40 cents. Right. And, so, and that was expensive. So, <laughs> but, you know, so it's always, I always try to remember that the stuff my kids do is before I yell at them, I go, did you do that as a kid? Yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we try to have reasonable conversations about these things. Let me explain to you how this works out for you. <laughs> Uh, too many speeding tickets growing up. They won't believe it. They won't appreciate it until they've got kids. Well, they—they—that's one thing that's I tell the way them. It works. Uh, that's one thing I tell them. I said, you know, just just beware that you'll have kids one day and you'll mm -hmm. be going through this. But yeah, so far so good. We'll we'll see. But anyway, the the point is is that what Americans experience at the pump at the ga at the grocery store. Uh, I talked about my wife going to you know TJ Maxx, you know, to shop and shelves were bare. Right, can't get what you want. And the stuff you do want, the price is, is up. That's what Americans feel, right? And, and that's the way they evaluate the economy. And this is the mistake that the White House has made, not just this administration, the last administration too, and the one before that one, is that all of a sudden, and in, you know, the Obama administration, the Trump administration, the Biden administration are all comparing their performance as presidents to the, the, the price of the stock market. And that has nothing to do with reality. That is 10% of the population that owns 90% of the stock market. It has nothing to do with the reality of what happens with the bottom 90% of Americans that have very little money invested in the markets. What matters to them is the cost of food, gas, housing, healthcare, insurance, et cetera. That's what matters to them because that's what they pay. And all of a sudden, they've got a whole lot less money to pay for. And that means they've got less things, less money to do the things that they want to do, vacations, whatever it is that makes them happy, they can't do because they don't have the money for it. And so this is the things that, that matter the most. And these are the things that ultimately impact earnings the most as we get into the next year. And despite the fact that we have a lot of speculation in the markets right now, and, and again, you know, we were talking about Tesla earlier. Well, what's going on with that stock? Just a tremendous amount of option speculation there. But, you know, there is a lot of things going on in the markets, a lot of, a lot of speculation in a vast amount of areas of the market. Um, companies right now are spending a record amount of money on buying back their own shares in order to meet these 
earnings estimates. If they weren't buying back these shares, they wouldn't be meeting their earnings. You know, we wouldn't have 80% of companies beating earnings. We'd have 0% of companies beating earnings if they weren't buying back their own shares because that's how a lot of these companies are beating their earnings estimates is simply by reducing the number of shares outstanding because we report things on earnings per share basis. If we just reported earnings and say, hey, we expect earnings to be X, forget the per share thing, a lot of these companies wouldn't be meeting their estimates or they'd be a lot lower. Um, as we wrote about last week, the article's on our website, 40% of the returns of the markets since 2011 have come from stock buybacks alone. So in other words, instead of the market being at 4,600 right now, we'd be about 2,800 on the index. Your return since 2011 without stock buybacks has been about 3% a year. That kind of aligns with economic growth, which has been growing at about 2% since then. It also aligns with what would be the expected rate of return with valuations where they currently are and a dividend yield of roughly 1%, 1.5%. That's what really happens in the markets. When you throw in buybacks, that's how you get this inflation in asset prices. Now, the problem with buybacks and liquidity and you know, injections by governments is those can reverse very quickly. Buybacks can literally stop tomorrow. I'm not saying they will, but they could. And those are the risks that you need to be paying attention to because there's lots of speculation in the markets and a lot of expectation that speculating in the market has no risk. But investing is all about the risk you take versus the return you get. That wraps up the show for the day. Get by our website. Our daily market commentary is out talking about Tesla earnings, manufacturing, and more. Also, our fundamentally speaking post out as well. So, again, a lot of those charts and things that we were talking about this morning on the show are in that article about the expectations for earnings going into 2022 and what you should be thinking about in terms of your money and your portfolio. That's The Real Investment Show for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Stick around, though. Coming up here will be three minutes on markets and money. We'll go through some of the uh, small caps, mid caps, some of the stocks, high flyers in the markets. Tell you what's going to be happening with those next. That's coming up. Real Investment Advice. We'll see you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.